this episode, we're going to talk about contributing to a gym. And there's many reasons why you may want to contribute to a gym. It could be fixing a bug. It could also be adding a new feature. It may also be adding documentation. And I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons. And before you contribute to a gym, there's a few things that you should look into. And the first thing is, is there a code of conduct? And at a high level, the code of conduct is basically stating the expected behavior when contributing to the gym. So it's important to read through that and make sure that you understand the expectations and expected behaviors. And this is generally more focused on the developer as an individual than it is about the actual source code. Sometimes there's a contributor's guide. And this is going to be a lot more focused on the actual code and the correct processes in order to have your changes successfully committed into that gym. It can be something like reporting issues or how to send the pull requests. And keep in mind that each gym, because this is a community of different people, are maintained and handled differently. So be sure to check that out. And then let's say if you're not really comfortable with making a pull request and having your changes push into the gym, but it's something that you would rather let the people who have created this gym or other contributors in the community handle it, then be sure to check out the issue templates. And if there is not an issue template available for the particular gym that you are wanting to work on, it's always good to go to the history of some of the other issues that have been created just to use as a template there to kind of see what's expected. But when raising issues, it's always important to be able to give reproducible steps because that's going to take a lot of time off of the developers. And you could even go a step further with standing up a sample application where you can publicly share that source code and attach it to the issue so that they can see in this particular case, here's where the gem's not working properly or as intended. And then we get to ask for help. Within places like GitHub, or GitLab, it's pretty easy to see who the contributors of a particular gem are. So try to reach out to them and explain some of your concerns or the issues that you're having or what you would need to do to get involved. And this could be especially important when we're talking about reporting issues that have to do with security. Some gems will actually ask you not to submit an issue for a security issue. Instead, they will have a mailing list or some other avenue where you can disclose the security issue to them just so it's not publicly visible and exploitable. And again, if you see one of these items missing from a gem, typically they are markdown files found at the root of the gem's code, or it could be in the readme, then definitely ask for help if you have questions, because that way the proper expectations are getting set and it'll save you from discouragement if your pull request isn't immediately accepted. And if your pull request doesn't get accepted, you do have to understand that the maintainers of a gym are trying to make a issue globally beneficial for everybody to use without adding too much bloat to their actual gym. And so that brings up a question, should I fork the gym? And essentially what forking a gym will do will allow you to make a copy of that entire library into your own account. So it's separated completely from the actual gym. And so the only time you would want to not fork a gym is if you were the owner of the gym. And in a lot of cases, you're not even going to be able to fork the gym unless if you set it up as a separate repository 
under a organization or something, in which case, then you should be forking. So pretty much, whether you're contributing to a gym to update the documentation, to submit a pull request, or whatever other case, it's good to fork the gym. Because what you're going to be able to do with that fork is that you're going to be able to make your changes, test it, document it, do whatever is required in the contributing guides, and then you're going to be able to make a pull request, and with that pull request, it'll get merged back into the main branch of that gem. And once they do a release, then that gem would be publicly available to everyone via doing a bundle install or having it in your gem file. But basically, to contribute to a gem, it's probably going to go something like this, where you're first using the gem. So you have some familiar of the end user use case for this gem. You then might find a bug. And with that bug, you might then report an issue. And it's something that you would like to take on yourself to try to resolve. So to resolve it, you would then fork the repository and then make all the code changes in your forked repository. Once you're finished, you would then make your pull request. And that pull request, once it's accepted, will then get merged back into the main branch of the owner's gem. And when making the pull request, it's good to link it to the issue, just so there's some tracking that this pull request is addressing this issue. But let's say if this is a new feature that you are creating, which does not fit the philosophy of the gem, and they have decided that this is not globally beneficial to the other users of the gem, so your pull request is denied. So you do have a couple of choices here, and one choice is that you can just maintain the fork, which has the fix that you need. You can also make a smaller gem, which has a fix or override, or you can override it within your own application. And overriding within your application is typically seen as monkey patching, but in the case where it's not going to ever get merged into the gem, then that might be your only solution. And so let's take a look at a really popular gem that's had a lot of contributors over the years. And just looking at the gem, you see that there's a code of conduct, and a lot of the stuff under the code of conduct should be common sense. However, the internet is a nasty place, and it's good to have this in writing sometimes. And then in the contributing guide, we start getting into the more technical side of things. Not only do they give you some guidelines on how to report issues and what not to report if you haven't done some previous steps, like searching the existing issues, but then they give you other avenues to ask questions and then a place to report security bugs. And in a lot of cases, when contributing to a gym, they'll have sort of kind of guidelines about the number of tests that you need to write or enough tests for the new change or behavior. And then also some other things around backwards compatibility. So it's just stuff to keep in mind when contributing to a gym if it could potentially break something else. And if you're a bit nervous with contributing code to a gym for whatever reason, there's other ways that you might be able to contribute. And a big way is to help keep the documentation up to date. That'll not only give you a better understanding of what's going on with that gym, but it'll also give back to the community quite a bit because good documentation and wiki articles do take a lot of time to create. And then another nice thing that device does is that they provide you an issue template, which you would be able to find going through some of the other issues. 
but they do provide this as a template. And it's always good to check this out because there are some things that you might be overlooking, like your Ruby version or your Rails version, or even the version of the gem that you're using when you're reporting the issue. And just reporting that this gem doesn't work doesn't really help anybody unless if you give specifics and methods to be able to reproduce it along with the current behavior that you're experiencing and the expected behavior that you would like to see. So let's say for the device gem, if I found something that I want to update, and let's say it's something as simple as just wanting to add a Drifter Ruby episode to the starting with Rails guide, then the first thing I would do is come up to the top and create a fork. I would fork it, which then you'll see that under my own account, I now have a device repository. And typically it's good to go ahead and clone or download the repository. And I'll just clone it with SSH. So in my terminal, I'll just do a git clone and then I'll paste in that repository, making sure that it's pointing to mine. And once we're done, we can go ahead and bring up our editor with the device directory. And then we could just pull up the readme. We could go ahead and put in our comment and then we can make whatever other changes necessary. And back in our terminal, we can run a git status to see the files that were changed. And we could even run a git diff to make sure that this modified file has the intended changes. And once we're satisfied with that, we can add our readme to the commit. And then we could add a commit message. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I'm respecting the formatting of the commit messages that they would want. So I'm going to do a git log to see the previous commit messages to just see an example of how people are creating their commit messages. And it looks pretty standard. The stuff at the top is going to be automatically created. So you don't have to worry about that. This is really what has been committed. So if I just do a git commit, then that's going to open up my editor and then I can put in my changes in here. And once I'm happy with my commit messages, anything that's commented out is not going to be included, but you can clean that up if you like. We'll save and then close it. And by closing it, it'll then show us that we have one file change with two insertions and one deletion. I'm going to go ahead and get pushes up to my repository. And this is going to push it to the one that I have cloned. And notice it's not going back to the main repository. It's coming back to the one that I forked. So now we see that my master branch is one commit ahead of the heart combo master. And if I click on the pull request within GitHub, and it shows that the base repository is the heart combo device and is going to the master branch. If this was targeted to a different branch, we could select that. And then we'll be merging in our repository into there. And once we're happy with it, we can go ahead and create the pull request. It'll give us a chance to write a comment about this pull request. And one nice thing as a reminder, it shows you that this is the first time I'm opening up a pull request for this project. Be sure to review the contributing guidelines and code of conduct. And I don't know if they're going to accept this pull request or not, but we'll go ahead and create it. And typically what happens when you make a pull request like this is that it's going to go through some automated checks if they have that set up. In this case, they have Travis CI running the continuous integration, making sure that this pull request hasn't created any issues based on the existing tests. Well, that's all for this episode. 
Thanks for watching.